0: Hey everyone, welcome to the daily Halakha, Kabbalah, and Mahshava podcast series brought to you by Yisoblox.com. If you're enjoying this content, you can head over to Yisoblox.com or you can subscribe and get access to all the Torah that we've been sharing there. It's a massive platform, getting bigger and bigger all the time. If you want to change your life, encounter Hashem in the real world, and actually begin to unpack what the Torah is really about in a way that's more sophisticated than, I believe, anything that you've seen before. So subscribe today, and also by subscribing, you can support what it is that we're trying to create with theSoulBlocks.com and with this podcast series. So join us and get on board that community train. Uh, we're doing the in the daily halacha series a halacha every every episode from Orach the Shulchan Aruch, and we are currently still in Siman Nun Gimel. The last few episodes have been in that Siman that section because it's pretty long, and it revolves around the structure of Tefillah Betzibur, grouped Tefillah, uh, the alignment group processes that we use where we have 10 different people, 10 different men, well, since men in general have the, the Torah model of the male structure is to have thicker blockages between themselves and Hashem, and so we basically take 10 different structures, 10 different men with their 10 different spherot structures, um, and then we have them come together to basically complement each other, complement with an E. Uh, where each one then basically brings out more balance in the others. And then we have one person who leads that, who's the Chazan, the Shaliach Tzibur, leading the tefillah group, and everybody else from the community, both men and women, can jump on board that train, but we're supposed to have ten, minimum ten of these fragmented types of structures, meaning ten men, uh, coming together in that complementary way. So we've been going through the halachos of the different requirements for a person who wants to be the Shaliach Tzibur or who's being asked by the group to be the shalifti. One of the key points that we mentioned was that the group has to be okay with the person who is leading the group. In other words, if there is some kind of friction or tension between the group and the person leading, that's going to be a problem because in order for people to actually be able to draw deeper insights and understanding about themselves from each other, there has to be some sense of camaraderie, some sense of connection and togetherness. And if there is politics, then inherently that means there is ego. And where there is ego, there is separation, distance, isolation, and division. So we don't have, we don't allow any of those things. So in Siman Nun we're now up to Seif Chaf, the 20th halacha in the section. Seif Chaf says, <coughs> Let's say you have a person who now wants to be the shaliyach tzibur, the leader of the Tfila group, uh, because his father passed away. This is a very common practice. It's a halacha, it's a, min- a minhag, where basically if a person loses, a man loses one of his parents, uh, in this case the example is his father, so then he uh, very often will be the chazan, the shaliyach or the leader of the tefillah group, for a period of about 11 months. Uh, and that's basically, he's like the fixed Um, chazan, the fixed leader of the group, during that time. So the example that halacha here brings is a person who's in that situation, a a man who's lost his father, uh, and so now he's he's supposed to be the leader, according to that minhag, so he wants to now be the tefillah person uh, for his father. It says, There's another person there who wants to uh, be the chazan also, because of somebody else who, in his family, who's passed away, but it's not his father, uh, it's not one of his parents, so it's a different person. So some other close relative. And so he wants to be the chazan instead. So in that situation, it says um, the halacha the, uh, is, whoever the group wants to be the person doing the chazan role, Uh, that is the determinant in terms of who will now be the chazan. So that's what the halacha basically says. There's two people pitted against each other in terms of the example. There's one who lost his father, and he wants to be the chazan for that purpose uh, in the role of, um, of, Doing whatever it does, which we're going to talk about in a second, to be the chazan when you lose your father, and then the other person just wants to do it for a different lost relative that's not his father, and so the halacha here rules well. It depends on who the group wants. That's the determinant. It doesn't matter. We don't look at the, the 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 lost loved one as the determining factor. Instead, it's the group that determines who will now be the leader, which fits with what we've discussed up until now, and that the group is really the defining determining factor in these types of decisions now the two aspects here so we we the, the simpler one to understand really is that piece about the group we understand that and it, it's what we've seen until now is what i just mentioned is that the reason why the group determines it is simply because we need to have group buy-in in order for there to be a tefillah process that is actually successful and achieves its purpose. So, which again, recall that the halacha is trying to reflect that. The the, the irony is that nowadays, if you're learning the halacha, you'll find many times the halacha says things that you might not relate to. It might feel like I don't really get why this is such a big deal, or why this is even relevant, or uh, there's lots of examples of that. A good set of examples is in Hilchos tefillin, because most people have no idea what tefillin is, and so we just call them phylacteries, which is just kind of some substitute word that's instead of, you know, the actual meaning of what tefillin is, which is actually from the word tefillah which means alignment, so tefillin means aligners. But when reading these halachos, very often because we're disconnected from them and we don't understand the relevance or the depth of some of these details, so then it just doesn't really mean that much to us. But here, the, the Torah, the halacha, uh, here and in general, the halacha still speaks to the ideal of reality, the, the deeper Torah understanding that we currently don't have, unfortunately, which is literally the whole purpose of Um So the idea here is that we actually need to have buy-in from the group if we're going to be achieving the purpose of tefillah. Now, nowadays, most of the time, the people who are in a tefillah group are not trying to achieve the purpose of tefillah. All that's being done is maybe the saying of some words, perhaps even mumbling them without really understanding what they even mean. And there is a social element of feeling like you're with other people. And sometimes that's something which is the only element of interest. Just the, And that's why we, people spend a lot of time often conversing during the tefillah process with each other because they're just bored by the actual context. But here the halacha references the structure of this as if it assumes and it does assume that you actually know what this is supposed to actually look like and so the group voting and wanting a certain person is a defining characteristic defining determinant here because uh, they're supposed to be buy-in and the reason why we need to have buy-in as you mentioned is because the whole idea of a tefillah group is that everybody is now working together looking at each other trying to perceive the different attribute structures of each other based on their knowledge of each other and their um, observations of the other people's dynamics, and then to try to siphon off in their own perceptions to kind of learn from that and try to round out their 10 attributes and that means that if you have too much chesed or too much hod or too much netzach or something like that uh, which each of us has different amounts of each of those 10 attributes that are the spherot so you can try to look at and we by the way also have different amounts of each each of those attributes in different aspects of our of our personality like you might have a very strong netzach characteristic where you're very dominant and very assertive in an area like your field of knowledge, in your career, your job. Whereas in another area, you might not have that at all. And so there's a lot of variance in terms of the spherot in different areas. And the idea of tefillah in a group is to actually look at each other, try to see how each other is, and learn about how each other, uh, each, each person in your group actually uh, is structured in terms of their spherot amounts, and then try to become better at, well, maybe I need to learn how to be more uh, assertive, or maybe I need to learn how to be more more submissive, more receptive. Um, in this area, in this particular example, I need to maybe I need to know how to share more. Maybe I need to learn how to think more more clearly or in a more coherent way, more connective way. So these are things that you can feed off of other people without actually taking anything away from them. So the phrase feed maybe doesn't really fit there so well, but the idea of siphoning off or trying to learn from other people in that way, that's what we're doing in this group dynamic of Te Fila So of course there has to be buy-in. So that's the first more obvious point. The second point that's in this halacha that's on the, on the underlying depth, the Kabbalah concepts that are buried within the halacha, is this idea of a person who wants to be the shaliach tzibor, the leader of the tefillah group, because his father has died. And that's really a deep, a very deep idea. It's usually described nowadays as well. When you do something like that, it gives the neshama an aliyah. That's how people say that. It means that the soul can now ascend because of what you're doing down here. And the question, of course, is what does that mean? Like, Does that actually mean anything? It's something which people say a lot. What does that look like? In the real world, and actually, the Mishnah Brewer here actually mentions a similar type of phrasing. He says that the idea here is that it's it it, it provides what's called Nachas Ruach Uh Umatzilo Dino Shel Gehenem. It provides like some kind of like Nachas Ruach means like a a relaxation of the spirit. Like it's like it makes you it, remo, it removes tension, and it also saves you saves the person who passed away from Dino Shel Gehenim, from the the uh, judgment of Gehenim. Gehenim is usually translated as hell. Uh, we're going to just explain exactly what those things mean, and then can understand what this all, how this all fits together. So, the idea is again that assuming that you, the, the text here, the halakha is assuming you understand all the underlying principles of what death is in the Torah's map of reality, and what death is is basically your body shuts off, and what your body is is a series of tools, a series of layers that allows you. It, it works like an antenna, essentially, that allows you the consciousness, of the neshama, to be in contact with the world, to be manifests as an intangible self in the tangible world and so it kind of it's, it's like a transmitter um, and so it shines out like your nishama is basically somehow linked to that set of tools and then when you activate yourself through it through the set of tools the body and all its pieces all its parts so then you're shining out into the world as this light of consciousness of yourself uh, to the tangible world around you in in finite form. I mean, there could be more and more of your presence through the body as you live longer and are more and more manifest. And then when, when the body turns off, now you don't. You no longer have the transmitter. So now you're not. You're no longer able to, to manifest in the world. That's the definition of death in the Torah's mind. The question is, well, what happens to you? Well, you were never here. The body was simply just a a. It's a, like I said, an antenna. You're not here because you are an endless self. You're an intangible neshama. Things that are endless and intangible can't be anywhere because if they are anywhere, that means they're everywhere because they're intangible. They're endless. They can't be in like if you're endless, there's no place where you're not. So what, is that, what does that look like? Well, the, there's no real intersection between an endless, intangible phenomenon and a tangible, finite world. There can't be, because if there was, then the intangible, endless phenomenon would, again, just completely be the only thing that was here, because true endlessness, truly endless things will then, in a, in a finite context, will fill it, because they are endless. So you are not really, you're not on this plane, like this, the plane of the finite existence is not where you are, you're on higher planes of being that are that are more of the, we'll call it the substance of consciousness, you can call it olam habria you can call it whatever you want to call it, but, and your root is in something called olam ha it's like higher, higher uh, planes of being that essentially give rise to the neshama, and the neshama itself is is a fragmented aspect of Hashem's consciousness, Hashem's Self. And so basically, you can think of it as the higher you go, the more uh, you're you're, you're going to get to a place where all the nishamas are unified into one nishama, one primal, prim, primordial nishama. And then if you go even higher than that, even that one neshama is subsumed within the larger self that we call the Ein-Soph, Sof, that is Hashem. And so these are like higher and higher states of consciousness and states of reality. Uh, and we generally operate in the lowest state where our consciousness is very much isolated from other fragments of consciousness consciousness and is usually very much um, restricted to the information that flow that we get from our bodies. When our body turns off and death happens, so now we're released from that much more constricted experience of reality and we're exposed to higher states, higher planes of being that are more where we actually are. And again, when I say where we are, the word where doesn't really apply. You can't really be in aware in higher states of reality that are not part of the physical world because the idea of where is purely a physical idea in terms of positional relation. things are here versus there that's the idea of where so where exactly are you so again not the right not the right word but you are somehow a a, an intangible self that operates at a higher plane that we're going to call for now or whatever like the higher higher layers of being and so now you're you're locked out from your experience of the body and the flow of space and time in the world and so now the, there's, two, there's two implications to that. One is, well, if you're locked out of the flow of space and time, then you're kind of stuck in a static state where you really can't move, can't evolve, can't do very much. And that is the idea of what's called Dino Shel Gehenim. Gehenim basically is the state of being stagnant. In the Shemos are designed. We are the aspect of a self that has been rendered partial, that is now forgotten. This, the 99% of who we really are, which is, which is divine selves, and even at, at the root, we are actually a self manifest as us. And so we now experience ourselves as just less than one percent of who we really are, and then our entire uh, driving energy is, where's the rest of me? Like, what is? Who am I? What, what what am I for? What's my purpose? And we've lost that because of this constriction process that gave rise to the creation of us as individual beings. And now we're searching for the rest of ourselves so we can actually become whole, that so we can return to our to our bigger self and become more and more and more, uh, uh, essentially aware of the of the truth of who we are. it's like having amnesia and then searching for who you once were. that's the process of chuva returning to ourselves. And so that's um, that, that's that's what we're meant to do and when we're stuck in a stagnant state where we're not evolving in that way that gives us tremendous uh, we feel existential I don't know to even say discomfort we experience existential existential wrongness you feel like everything is wrong. And that is something which happens when you die. In other words, when you're in a state of death, so depending on how you lived, but there's, there's, there's always parts of yourself that were stagnant while you were alive, that you never developed, that you didn't discover, that you ignored because of the etzadas, tobara dynamic, your perceptions basically distorted how you saw the world, and you saw it through the lens of preferences instead of the lens of truth, and as a result, you didn't develop certain aspects of yourself, because it was too hard, and or too, 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 too painful, and so you couldn't face those things, and those areas are stagnant pockets in our being that we never really explored, and so when we die, now we're faced with the stagnant these stagnant elements, stagnant aspects of ourselves, and that is tremendously painful. That, that, that experience where you suddenly discover the parts of yourself, because when you when you die and your body turns off, you get exposed to the rest of yourself in, in some form, not in its total form, but you get exposed to a lot more of who you are, and then you contrast wh- what you're seeing now that you're dead and now that your body is off. You see the rest of who you are. You contrast that with your memory imprint of what you actually became through your body, and you're like, wait, like certain parts of what I was... Or certain parts of what I really truly am are actually now in conflict with what I remember myself being when I was attached to my body And certain parts uh, are, are of who I wh- who I know I truly am are actually in alignment with what I experienced when I was attached to my body. And so the experience of the conflict and the, 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 the contrast where you were not the right, not, not really manifesting who you truly were, we call that Gehenna, that's the, that's the pain of stagnation. And you can actually even have that when you're alive, by the way, in situations where you are being stagnant, you can sense the pain of that. So the idea, that, that that's the first part, is that's the nature of what it means to be a an neshama, and that's the idea of Gehenna, is basically this state of stagnancy and its, uh, and its impact on us. And the second part of what's mentioned here is that somehow we have a person who is now leading a tefillah group and, and entering into higher states of consciousness, um, and that's the whole that's that's the Nishama's bread and butter. That's what that's what the Nishama wants to do. We want at the root of ourselves, we want to become who we are, we want to return to higher states of consciousness. We want to be the fullness that we truly are. And so that's what each person is trying to do here in, in from start from whatever starting point they are currently at. So if you are being the chazan for its fila group, there's this idea that you can actually do that in the name of somebody who, who has left the world, someone whose body has turned off what people usually call death. So an example brought here is a person who wants to do that for their father. So what does that do? How does that help when you do that? Well, the idea of the neshama is that the neshamos are not actually things, right? You're not in a place. You're not a tangible item. What that means, so therefore, is that you're actually uh, intangible. And really the the Torah map of what a neshama is is that we all are really just one Nishama looking out at the world through different bodies, through different frames of reference. And so you can think of that as like a network. Like every Nishama is actually linked to every other Nishama and we're kind of like really all just one Nishama with certain different... Uh, funnels that allow us to manifest in the world and then certain differences because of when you are in the world you basically imprint it in certain ways and that and you manifest in certain ways and that creates a certain conceptual separation between uh, different aspects of a neshama each of us being an aspect of the primordial neshama the super neshama that we are all kind of descended or or branches of so you think of it just like just like that just like a tree and so a tree has many branches and branches that branch into smaller, ever smaller branches. And so, uh, but all the different branchlets are connected and they're, they're they also, they, they um, when they vibrate, they vibrate each other. And so the idea is that when a person who's still attached to their body uh, and is an extension of the branch that is their father's branch, which we all are. So when you, when you engage in consciousness expansion processes, because part of your neshama is actually, is actually your, your, your father's neshama. Because the branch that preceded you in the tree is actually still there, just the body is no longer functional. Your vibration, your conscious expansion and and elevation, actually vibrates the whole branch, and so you actually raise up. In other words, what what does raise up mean? Raise up means that you're actually um, you're giving some kind of dynamism back to the static reality of the neshama. Because the neshama. Is like we said, is static. is can no longer really uh, um, evolve because it's not really in the flow of space and time. But since you are in the flow of space and time, and you're still linked to that neshama that is now not in the world, so now your vibration, actually, your 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 evolution, actually vibrates through that system and, and gives some form of of, of evolving. Uh, of connection to space and time and evolution in terms of the nishama state. Now, what that actually means, if you like, in terms of the nishama structure and the structure of olam haneshamos, the place that neshamos experience themselves as uh, after the body turns off. A lot more to say about that. I actually, have a YouTube video about that. Uh, also, it's called the the olam haba crash course. You can check that out on my YouTube channel, Yisod Blocks. Um, And there will be a series on Yesodablocks.com at some point soon about olam haba and all these types of things. But for now, suffice to say that that's a very, very large topic. There's a lot to say about it, but we are going to just leave that at this point. And those are the two points in this halakha, the area of death and elevating the neshama after death. uh, Or I don't even want to like to use the word death, but the area of the body shutting off and the neshama now being uh, untethered from the antenna that the body is. And the group buy-in dynamic uh, of a tefila group. So those are the two details here. Hope you enjoyed that. Thanks so much for tuning in and for listening. And looking forward to having you join me for the next episode.